Well, good morning once again. I want to invite you, if you have a bulletin and you want to take some notes, you can get that out and get that ready. If you have that and you're going to do that, I want to encourage you to have a pen ready. I've got a lot of scripture that we want to cover today as we jump into God's Word this morning together. If you're watching online, hopefully you got your outline and your bulletin through the email this week. You can follow along with us as well. We're glad you're here. If you're glad to be in church, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. I do not see Bernie Sanders here, so he must be somewhere else this morning. Uh, But uh, it's been a good week, amen? I don't know about you, but I've just sensed God's presence no matter what's been going on in my life and in, in our world, and I'm so thankful for that. We're concluding a series this morning called Back to the Basics, as we've talked about this new year, getting back to those foundational elements of our faith. And this morning, I want to conclude this, this series with, uh, I've titled this message, Meaningful Worship. Meaningful Worship. We're going to be looking at various scriptures this morning as well, but we've been discussing this theme of getting back to the basics, and I want, to, I want us to close this out with something that is just a very foundational element of our faith. If we expect to grow, if we expect to take the next step in our journey with Christ, we must experience meaningful worship, meaningful worship. And so I want us to just jump right into what this means to us this morning and and just kind of unpack this. There's there's a lot here. There's a lot of different ways we can go, but I want us to just uh, dive into this this morning. I want you to think about a couple questions I have for you this morning. The first one is this, what do you worship? What do you worship? Maybe you can't think of something or maybe there's too many things or maybe you're just trying to overthink it because you're in church and you want to think about the right answer or what is he thinking about? What's he trying to get me to think of? Let me ask you a different question. Who do you worship? Who do you worship? Or maybe even this question comes to mind because we just don't know how to answer those questions. Do we even realize what worship is? Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? Are there emotions that can be turned on and turned off? Are there there feelings that we can kind of push aside or feelings that we can muster up and that we we can cause more of? I want you to know this this morning. Worship is about honoring, praising, giving time and energy and attention to something or someone that we feel is worthy of praise. Worship in the Christian's life must be about doing this, about worshiping God. So what do you love about worship? Let me, let me, let me give, give you an opportunity to respond. Normally I don't do this, but I want to just give you an opportunity to respond. What do you love about worship, your understanding of worship? Just shout out a couple things to me. Nothing. The music, okay? The focus on God. Good. Something else. Say that again. Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Cleansing. Good. Anything else? What do you love about worship? Uplifting. His presence. Good. Unity. Relationships. Good. All good things. Praising Him. Amen. Amen. So then my question becomes, if we love those things about worship... How do you worship? 
How do you worship? I want us to look at one of our verses as a starting point this morning. John, John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 23, says this. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Let me just pause for a minute. I've, I've, I've emphasized true worshipers there. True wor- that's my emphasis. True worshipers. If we're reading this, a time is coming and has now come. We're getting to that time. It's present. It's real. It's right now. When the true worshipers, if that says true worshipers, that must mean there's a false worship too. Amen? So we must be very careful between true and false here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And get this, this is very important. If you get nothing else today, get this. For they, true worshipers, are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That means, just very simply put, that God the Father is seeking out our worship. He's on the hunt. He's looking for. He's, he is waiting for. He's anticipating true, genuine, spirit-filled worship. All in favor say aye. So let's find out how we get that today. Amen? God is not seeking false worship. We must also see what he is not seeking. In this passage of scripture, it does not say the father is seeking great communicators of his word. It doesn't say that God is seeking out the best charismatic leaders. It doesn't say that God is seeking out the best gifted musicians. It's not saying that God is seeking out the best looking people to put on stage. It doesn't say God is seeking out the people that have the most followers and are the most popular. It doesn't say that. It says God is seeking true worshipers. He is seeking after those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. That means that we must be coming into a place like this ready to participate. Ready to participate. We must come in here ready to engage in worship. True, meaningful worship. We must be ready to encounter the living God. Amen? If we're coming into a place like this, this church, week in and week out, or we're watching online week in and week out, if we're not encountering the living God, then I would, I would strongly challenge us, and Anel, I can't believe I'm going to say this. If we're not encountering the living God, we probably need to reevaluate why we're coming in here. Because we may not be the true worshipers that God is seeking. If we're coming in here just to check a box to say, I did it, we might need to reevaluate some things in our life. We may need to get back to the basic to realize I need to come in here prepared and ready to go in expecting something great to happen. Amen? Maybe, you know, I know know things happen and, and life can get crazy, especially on a Sunday morning. One of the greatest things... Uh, you know, we, we as pastors hear all the excuses about Sundays. We, we've heard them for years. You know, I love the one that my, uh, I have some people that are near and dear to my heart that give me this one all the time. It's my only day off. 
and I want to sleep in. Okay. We don't start till 10 o'clock. I don't know too many adults that even on a day off sleep through 10 o'clock. There's, that's not a real excuse. It's just, it's just a reason to not be ready to engage, to not be ready to expect something. You know, there's other ones that, you know what, the kids were crazy and I just couldn't get them ready. I get it. I get it. We were sitting around the dinner, dinner table last night counting how many kids we've had in our house this year. It's mind-boggling sometimes. I just don't understand how my wife does it. She is amazing. I leave on Sunday mornings and she does it all. She's amazing. She is a true worshiper. And I love my wife. I'm thankful for her. We must be ready to engage. Sometimes we come in here and we're not ready to engage. And maybe we're, we've come in at times and we've, we've showed up late. We find a seat and we're rushed and we're feeling the... We feel like everybody's just looking at us because we're late and all this stuff. And then we come in and we're late and really all we're doing in worship is listening to the band sing some songs. And we're trying to just turn our minds to what it needs to be, but in reality, we probably aren't able to focus like we need to. We're probably not able to get back to that basic of really being a true worshiper of what God is seeking out. You see, we all know what good worship looks like. We could point it out. I want to show you a couple pictures. Here's some pictures of good worship. We see hands lifted high. We see, we see symbols being, being thrown up in the air. And we see a crowd of people gathering around. Let's go to the next one. True worship. You know, it's, it's probably a concert setting. They like the song. And we, we're able to lift our hands. We pump our fists. We're, this is good worship. We're giving praise to something or someone that we feel is worthy of it. Let's go to the next one. Here's really good worship. Amen? We can't do this right now, but... When we were able to, and that's a great, that is a sanctuary. I will tell you, I've been to that sanctuary. I've worshipped in that sanctuary in Lincoln, Nebraska. We worship things. We, we're good at it. We can, when our team scores, we can raise our hands and we can, we can shout and we can get excited. And when they lose or they struggle, we can act like we're depressed and like it's a funeral. We know what good worship is. Let's go to the next one. This is good worship on the sense of we want to make sure that we know who's not worthy of our praise. We know who we're against, and we can make them aware of that too. We know what good worship is and what it looks like, but all of these things that are good worship, good examples of that, it's good worship, but it's a bad God. It's good worship, but it's a bad God. In other words, we're willing to go out of our way. We're willing to worship well, to be true worshipers of things that are not good. That don't deserve our eternal praise. Sometimes we have bad worship for a good God, though. Let's throw that next picture up there. This is us coming in to church not ready. I don't think that's our church. <laughs> but sometimes 
we as Christians come in and we're not ready, we're not anticipating, and we give bad worship to a really good God. We give bad worship to a really good God. And we must be careful as Christ followers, as those people that want to get back to the basics, the foundational things that will make us and help us to grow closer to a heavenly father that loves us so much. We've got to stop giving bad worship to a good God. Jesus talks about these types of worshipers in Matthew 15. The the good worship to a bad God. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. Wow. So I want to ask you another question. What type of worship describes where you're at spiritually today? You don't have to share it with anybody. I just want you to internalize that. Think through that for a moment. What type of worship describes where you're at spiritually? Are you honoring God with your lips? Are you coming in expecting to encounter the living God? We believe that worship is the highest expression of our love for God. Let me say that again. We believe that worship is the highest expression of our love for God. Scripture's our guidebook to getting back to the basics. We've been saying that through this series. And so Psalm 100 instructs us on this. It gives us exactly what to do. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Go into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. Why? For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. That was Psalm 100. I don't know this. I didn't look it up. But it's a pretty old passage of scripture. Amen. His faithfulness continues to each generation. The psalmist is not here today. He's not in in this place, and yet we're still reading this scripture. The psalmist who wrote this is, is experiencing God's firsthand touch in his life, and he's writing these words to help us, future generations. Why? Because God never fails us. He deserves our good worship, amen? He deserves us being ready to be true worshipers, to give him everything. His faithfulness endures and continues through all generations. Since God is seeking true and meaningful worshipers, we must give him the worship and the honor and the glory that he is due. Amen? So I believe there's a way that we can do that. True worshipers today, I want us to, show, I want us to talk about three ways that the Lord helps us to be true worshipers today. True worshipers will worship the Lord in three different ways. Here's the first one. True worshipers will worship with awe. With awe. The Hebrews writer says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful 
and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Once again, we go back to the psalmist in Psalm 95. It says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's, it's giving us instructions. And you might be saying, uh, Pastor, I don't know if you know this. We're in a Nazarene church. We come in. We sit in our pew. Probably the same pew we've been sitting in for 20 years. If there's somebody new to us, we'll, we'll talk to them. We love them. We accept them. We're glad they're here. But I'm not kneeling down. I'm not going to draw attention to myself. I'm not going to show anybody that I'm here for a reason. But Scripture tells us, it encourages us, if you will, to worship with awe. There's other parts of Scripture that I think are so cool because it gives us examples of people worshiping our Creator with awe. Think about the story of Jesus' birth. As the wise men were coming in to see the Christ child, the Bible says that they came in, and as soon as they saw him, they knelt to their knees. Mm. They bowed low in worship. Why? Because they were in awe that they were in the presence of a king. It says when Jesus was calling his disciples, we fast forward in Jesus' life a little bit later down. He's at, the, he's at the seashore and he's calling his disciples to follow him. And he tells them to go out and to fish and, he, and they've been fishing and Peter is, is, is discouraged. He's like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm the fisherman, you're not. Why would I go do this? We've been doing it all night. It doesn't work. But since you said so, we'll do it. And Peter goes, and you know the story, he puts the nets down, does exactly what Jesus says, and they filled their nets up with so much fish that their boat began to sink. And Peter becomes a true worshiper. And if you go back to that story, you'll see that Peter's response to Jesus' miracle was he got on his knees before the Lord. And he says, Master, you really are the Lord. And he's on his knees in awe. The Bible tells us that one day, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some people get that confused and they say, does that mean that everybody's going to heaven? No. Nope. Because that means if you've missed it, how are you going to respond? No, 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 no. Every knee will bow. Either you're going to bow in worship because you love him and he loves you and you have a relationship with him or you're going to bow out of regret and remorse because you've missed it. Every tongue will confess. That means every person will acknowledge that he is who he says he was. Amen? We serve a risen Savior. You can't go to his graveside. You can't put flowers at his tomb. You can't. Why? Because he's not there. He is alive, and one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And you see, when we experience that firsthand touch from the Lord, we become over, overwhelmed by his love. 
We become overwhelmed with his presence, just like Peter did, just like the wise men. They, they were overwhelmed that they were right where they were supposed to be. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you've been stunned and shaken by the presence of God? You know, it can happen in some, in some crazy places. There was a time in my life I was, I was traveling for a meeting on the district, and I was... I was I don't even know where I was. Some, I thought Pittsfield was kind of out of the way. Some of our churches are in the middle of nowhere. And, and so I'm driving, and, and I've, got my, I've got my phone, my music playing, and I'm just, worshiping the, I'm just worshiping in my car. I got tears rolling down my face. I'm, just, I'm getting blessed in my car, and I'm, I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm worshiping God, and all of a sudden my phone rings, and I'm like, oh, man, it was my brother. I said, hey, Brady, what's up? He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting blessed. I'm being stunned by the presence of God. He goes, where are you at? I said, I'm in the car. I'm in my car. Well, where are you going? I said, I just finished district meetings. I should have reason to not be stunned by God's presence. Amen? But instead, God shows up. And I'm able to worship him. I'm able to give him everything that he needs while I'm driving my car. When was the last time that you had goosebumps because of God's presence? When's the last time that you focused so much on God and not your problems that you experienced his firsthand love in your life? You see, that's, why, that's when this happens. It's so easy for us to get sidetracked by our problems, by our junk by what we bring in here. And we carry it around and it's like, Pastor, why are you preaching on the basics? Because sometimes we got to learn to leave that alone and focus on the man who's got the solution instead of our problems. We need to allow him to stun us, to shake us. Why? Because his presence and his love is real. It's tangible. And true worshipers, the kind of worshipers that God is seeking, worship in awe. Because we're able to focus on God and not our problems. Amen? Secondly, true worshipers worship with abandon. They worship with abandon. Second Samuel, we read about the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant has been traveling around. It's been going from camp to camp, from nation to nation. And the Ark of the Covenant is coming back into the camp of King David. Now, for those of you that don't or may not know, the Ark of the Covenant was built... To, in, their, in their mindset, it was built to house the presence of God. And so anywhere the Ark of the Covenant went, that's where God was. And so that, it was a sacred place. It was a sacred object that they would travel, it would go. And when that was in the camp of God's people, God blessed it. So the, the Ark of the Covenant is a tangible place. As it's coming back into camp, they knew that the presence of God was returning to his people. If you knew Jesus was going to be in here sitting on the front pew like Bernie Sanders has been, you would be prepared. Amen? And so the Ark of the Covenant is coming in, and it's coming into their camp. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, 14, it says this, And David, the king, the one that everybody's looking to, danced before the Lord with all of his might. That doesn't sound too 
much abandoned. We can, we can dance. He was a good dancer. Okay, okay. Some commentators tell us that he stripped down everything and was dancing before the Lord with all that he had. He was giving God everything with reckless abandon. He didn't care who saw him. He didn't care what was going on. He knew that God was in his presence and he wanted to worship him with abandon. One of his wife's looks at him. Says to her husband, you have humiliated yourself in front of your people. And in verse 21, we read his response. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Why? Because of who God is. Because of what he's done. I can't help but give him praise. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced those moments where the presence of God is so real, it's tangible, you can feel it. And you're worshiping with abandon and you, you don't care who sees you, you don't care what you're doing, you just do it out of obedience, out of abandoned worship to God. I'm not a king, but lately I've been able to worship with my kids for the, one of the first times in, in, in our life. Uh, my older kids are all in the service now or unless they're helping somewhere else. And sometimes I wonder, as a, as a dad, as a parent, what are they seeing in me? And this was a couple of weeks ago. I remember being in a Connect the Power service on a Wednesday and the presence of God was so real and it was, it was, it was tangible to me. And I was standing here just worshiping and I was li lifting my hands and I was, I was hopping. You know, I'm, I'm a good Nazarene. You got to keep one foot on the ground, you know, at all times. But I'm, I'm hopping. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just ready to just break loose. But my boy's next to me. And the thought goes through my head. What would Elliot think of you? Oh, God, help me to worship you with abandon no matter who's looking. If you need to get flat on your face, you better get flat on your face. If you need to walk the aisles, you better walk the aisles. If you need to wave a hanky, you need to wave a hanky. <sighs> Pastor, that's not how we do it. That's how true worshipers do it. When we worship him with abandon. We become like King David and we say, it doesn't matter what anybody sees. It doesn't matter what they think. When the presence of the Lord is so real, when he's so close to me, I can't help but worship him with abandon. If you've experienced God's grace, his love, his work in your life, his forgiveness of your sins, his presence those things have happened to you in your life, not because of anything you've done. It's only because of what he's done for you. So if he's done all that for us, we've got to give him the praise. Amen? And because he's done it for each and every one of us as individuals, 
No one can worship for you. No one can worship for you. It has to be your worship. It has to be your abandonment to Him. It has to be your surrender. Nobody can worship the way you can worship. And that's what God desires. But here's the key. This is what helps us as we're training, as we're getting back to the basics. Because no one else can worship for you, personal and corporate worship must be consistent. Must be consistent. Well, now, Pastor, you're getting into these rules again. No, I'm not. If we want to be true worshipers of God, we must have personal times of worship. Worship is not just a Sunday service, folks. Worship is a way of life. And the way you live your life is an act of worship to the Lord. The way you go to work, the attitude you have towards your coworkers, towards your classmates, to your teachers, to the person in the grocery store, to whomever you come in contact with, is an act of worship to Him. And that's personal worship. That's what carries us through our week as we're spending time. Now, you can get in your car and you can crank that worship music and you can praise Jesus and you should. But it also must mesh with these times of corporate gathering. Why do we come in here? Do we come in here just to sit on our pew and to not do anything and to not, not be abandoned to our worship because we're afraid of what somebody else will think? No, if we're consistent in our personal worship, it should come in here and marry our corporate worship. That means that your worship, as you've been worshiping through your week, you come in here and it marries with my worship as I've been doing and we give a joyful shout to the Lord. We worship him in awe and abandonment and we give him everything he's due. Why? Because he's worthy of our worship. So what happens when we're not consistent? The same thing happens for those other ideas we were talking about. When you're not consistent in the fundamentals of the baseball and you're taking ground balls and you haven't taken ground balls in practice for three weeks, what's going to happen? You're not going to get down on that ball and you're going to make an error. What happens when we're not consistent with our worship? We're not consistent with our personal worship or we, we say, you know what, we can get away from going to church because it's online. I can just watch in my pajamas and do whatever. And I'm glad that we're able to do that. Don't get me wrong. But there's something special about being here. And when we come into this place and we begin to worship with one another, if we're not consistent with that, we lose sight of how important it is. Because as we've talked about today, some of us have come in carrying some stuff with us. And if we're not consistent, we're not going to come in and worship God how he's seeking us to worship. And that person who's carrying some stuff is coming in hoping to see somebody else to be encouraged. I don't know about you, but I would love to see David dancing in here without a care about what we think. I would love it. Why? Because he's worshiping with abandon. Nobody can worship for you, and you must be consistent. We must train ourselves to be consistent to get back to the basics of meaningful worship. True worshipers worship with awe. We worship with abandon. And finally, true worshipers worship with intimacy. Again, we look to King David in Psalm 27, verse 4. He says this, One thing I ask from the Lord. 
This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. I believe that when we seek to get back to the basics of our faith in meaningful worship, that worship refocuses us and it refocuses our lives to Christ. Intimacy is what God desires in our relationship with Him. That's a very strong and powerful word, intimacy. It's a word that scares a lot of people because it's, it's, it's deep, it's, it's, it's meaningful. And, and I want to share this story with you because it, it's all about refocusing what, what we need to be focused on. I'm so thankful that God has blessed me with a helpmate and a bride that I can be intimate with. And that's what God designed. But you know what? When you're, when you're with your spouse and, and things in this world are, are consuming your life, and they're not bad things, but it's just life and it's happening, sometimes we need to refocus our attention, don't we? I love it when, when my wife is, is serving our family and she's in the kitchen. And you might be thinking, BJ, don't be telling us intimate stories about the kitchen. I love seeing my wife in the kitchen because she's serving others. One of my my biggest love languages is acts of service. And so when I see my wife sacrificing for me, oh, I love her so much. And I love those moments no matter what's been going on in our life, when we have gotten sideways, when we have gotten so busy that we haven't been able to connect like normal. I love to go into the kitchen and I turn her around from what she's doing and I grab her face and I say to her, I love you so much. I desire you and I choose you today and always. And I refocus our attention on one another. That's what worship does with God. We go about our life, good things, nothing, not bad things. We're not living apart from Him, but we just get busy. And we haven't worshiped in awe, or we haven't worshiped with abandon. And then, we, then the intimacy kind of fades away. And God's telling us, he's, I don't think He's screaming at us. Maybe He is. He's trying to get our attention. And He says, I need you to refocus. I need you to get the attention back on what matters most. I need you to be a true worshiper. I want to be intimate with you. I want to to love you. I want to care for you. I want it to be nobody but just you and me. And worship refocuses our lives to Christ. See, it's not just an earthly type of love. It is something that we have to understand in terms of our earthly bodies. But that's not what David was talking about here. David realized and experienced what it meant to have intimacy with the Lord. And he only wanted one thing. One thing. See, maybe we forget it sometimes. David had so much. David had everything he could ever wanted. He was king. He had everything. Anything he wanted, all he had to do was speak it and it would happen. People that were doing everything in their life just to give him what he wanted. And yet he discovered what true and meaningful worship was all about. And he wrote this psalm. One thing I ask. This only is what I want. 
to be in your house all the days of my life. Wow. This one thing I ask. This only do I seek. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? Is it something that's selfishly driven? Is it the to-do list that just never seems to end? Is it finding that perfect something or someone? Or is it like David? This one thing I seek. This only do I ask to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on his beauty. Wow. What's your one thing? This is my desire for us as a church. Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene. This one thing. God, I want you to be our one thing. I want you to be our one thing and nothing else. I don't want to worry about anything else. I want to be focused on you. I want to worship you as a true worshiper. I want our people, your people, to come in prepared and expecting to meet with the living Savior. That's what I desire. One thing for our church is that, God, you are that one thing. What I desire for our denomination I'm hearing, I'm hearing all the time how churches are having to close. They're struggling and things are not going well. People fighting, people not getting along in church. I kid you not. I heard a story a couple months ago. Somebody tried to run over the pastor with their car in the parking lot. In a church of a Nazarene. God help us. Let our one thing be you. Let's forget about our differences. Let's put aside our, 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 our problems, our issues, and just focus. This one thing only do I seek. Let's get back to the basics. It's what I desire for Christians everywhere. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, my definition of Christian has changed. It's not necessarily just knowing Jesus Christ. Even the demons know being a Christian means I'm following after Christ. I'm a Christ follower. I want to be in His presence. I want to be worshiping Him with awe. I want to be clinging to Him. I want to be hanging on with for dear life. Why? Because He's the one thing. He's the only thing that matters. It's my desire for Christians, for Christ followers everywhere. This one thing to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. God is looking for true worshipers. He's seeking them out. He's looking for His children to get back to the basics of meaningful worship and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. True worshipers worship with awe. They worship with abandon and they worship with intimacy. I want us to close in a response, and we're going to worship again here in the end of our service. And as we close this service, we're going to have an opportunity to sing, some, sing another song and, and to worship. And I'm not saying that that's going to solve all our problems. 
I'm not saying that we're here checking the list, making sure, are you a true worshiper? Are you? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I believe that every time we preach, we need to preach for a response. Sometimes that response is an altar call, and we, we ask people to come and to commit and to surrender their lives. Sometimes it's a hand raise. Sometimes it's a, something to think about as you leave. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond by having another opportunity to worship today. But as we do, as the band is coming back up, I want you to listen to this prayer from David again. Psalm 141. He says, accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Upraised and holy hands. Let me tell you this real quick. Some people think that this is uncomfortable. They see people raising their hands and they don't know what to think. Lifted hands means two things. One, it means victory. Your team just scored a touchdown. What's the sign for touchdown? Lifted hands. Why? We win. Victory. It's ours. The other thing it means? Surrender. Surrender. The good news for us today is that our worship includes both. Includes both. We have the victory that he's on the throne, amen? We have the victory that he has saved us from our sins. We have victory because he is our presence, our love, our everything, our one thing. That also comes as an act of surrender. God, whatever you want, it's yours. I give it to you. I'm going to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing in just a moment. Let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts. God, you are holy. You are deserving of our worship. You desire, you seek out true worshipers who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And today, God, I ask you one more time, it's our desire to live our lives as an act of worship for you, as a love offering to you. We love you, God, and I pray that you would accept our worship as incense offered to you. May it be pleasing to you. Will you accept my uplifted and raised hands as an act of victory and a response of surrender? We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen.